If you would, you can open up. I'll, I'll get there in just a moment. Um, <laughs> open up to let's see. First Sam. I'm sorry, not First Samuel. First Chronicles 16, and we'll talk about David. That's what I was thinking of First Samuel. First Chronicles 16, and I'm going to get there in a moment. I felt led of the Lord, like we just kind of finished this. We just finished this Days of Noah series. Uh, you understand that as a nation, we're still in the days of Noah, right? People are still eating and drinking and living their lives like nothing is going on when in fact that there's this battle going on between good and, and evil and we really need the Lord to move supernaturally, okay? So it's not like we're just moving on from that. We, we need to continue to pray and to worship and to intercede on, on our nation's behalf. In particular, Tuesday's a really big day and we should be, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, you should be praying about what happens on Tuesday and what consequently happens on Wednesday, Thursday, and probably the next month afterwards, okay? So we just need to be praying as a people. I've, I've been actually, I got so, um, my, my, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I can't remember if it was three or four years ago that Papa Bohai waved the appeal to heaven flag at four, three years. Okay, so four years ago, Jim Bohai, Dan's dad, uh, the former evangelist that's like just incredible, he got really blessed during this service with about 1,500 Nazarenes there, and someone brought a flag to a Nazarene church, <laughs> right? But it was an appeal to heaven flag, and I'm not sure if you've ever seen that, and I'm not really, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but... but it was, it's a white flag with an evergreen tree on it that says, Appeal to Heaven. And, I, and he waved that thing, and just in the middle of a worship set, and you understand, like, he's old, right? And he's, he's waving this thing like a young man would wave a banner. And, and people just weeping and crying in the presence of the Lord. So I started, like, reading about what this thing is. And there's this movement that's kind of resurged the last few years of, of this flag kind of coming back to the forefront but, but I'm just going to tell you essentially what it is, is that when our nation was formed and when we were fighting for our independence, George Washington called for, and this is where, like, in, in my background in history, I was taught that we were a secular nation, that we pretend, like, that Christians tried to say that we're Christian. I actually believe now we're a Christian nation that liberals are trying to say that we weren't. But anyway, so... So Washington has this flag made and flown on three ships because there was no way, there was no possibility that the United States could have won the war for independence. And he said, the only thing we need to do is we need to have an appeal to heaven. And that came from one of John Locke's writings. But anyway, so they flew this flag, appeal to heaven. And we ended up winning our independence. Now, what I think is significant about this is that we're in a time right now where us as people need to be appealing to heaven. And I'm not talking about nationalism and I'm not talking about American pride, although I am proud to be an American. I'm talking about us interceding that the Lord moves so that we can be a, a nation that sends people to the ends of the earth spreading the gospel. So I want to encourage you to appeal to heaven. I don't, I don't know if it's where I'm, like, I know I'm not old. I'm getting older. 
but I'm feeling like I'm getting really free with what I really feel and believe, and I'm, I'm not going to hold anything back. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> sermon number two. Um, <laughs> All right. I actually felt led of the Lord since we ended this Days of Noah series to, to start talking about the tents and tabernacles in the Bible. And I like alliteration, and so, so, so I thought tent and tabernacles would be a, a great way to do this. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to go in any order in the Bible. I'm going to talk all over the place over the next few weeks, okay, or preach from all over the place. But I, I felt led specifically this morning to almost compare and contrast. There's two tabernacles in particular that play a prominent role in biblical history. And, but now, one was the tabernacle of Moses, and one would be the tabernacle of David or the tent of David. Now, I want to say this because I want to preface today's message, if you will, with this, that I'm going to show, I believe the Lord's going to show us that there is a more excellent way, which is why I believe it's the tabernacle of David. Now, when I say that, I'm, I am not saying there was something wrong with the tabernacle of Moses. I'm just saying the Lord has simplified things for us and made things easier for us to enter into his presence, okay? Because we'll still probably go back and actually break down all the individual parts of the tabernacle of Moses to, to either learn how to, to learn how to pray and actually see what Christ Jesus did for us. But for our purposes today, I just wanted to put that disclaimer out because I don't want you to get the, the wrong idea like I'm saying, like I'm throwing this out because that's not what we're doing. That's like almost as ignorant as when people say, I just read the New Testament, I don't read the Old. Like, it's, it's both together, okay? It's both together. <laughs> I just said ignorant from the platform. That's good. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about the complexity first of the tabernacle of Moses. Now, we're going to look at this because I, I believe the tabernacle of Moses, if we're not careful, the tabernacle of Moses, you can look at it from a, prophet, from a prophetic lens in the sense that it becomes complicated and a whole lot of rigmarole and hoops to jump through, and therefore it becomes religious activity instead of intimacy with Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's the, I guess, the hypothesis this morning. All right, so I believe that the tabernacle of Moses represents modern religion today, which, is, which modern religion today is do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do whatever. And, and, and that's the, and as long as I do and do not all the right things, then I'm okay. And, and I believe that's where a lot are. It's like, well, I, I come every Sunday and I put money in the plate and I do this and, 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 and I'm faithful in that. But when I go home, I talk mean to my spouse. When I go home, I'm mean to my children. I lie on my taxes or I do all these different things, right? And, and, and so it's like I'm a Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week, I'm not so much. And, and I, I, I believe that if it becomes about do's and do nots, it's easy to put on our Sunday best, which really, like I, I know what people's doing with that, by the way. The, the idea of Sunday best is silly to me because every day is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad at it. I'm not going to dress up for God because He sees me when I'm at my worst, not just when I'm at my best. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so if Christianity becomes about lists, then we've missed out on what the Lord wants from us. Okay. We've missed out on what the Lord wants from us. Now, this tabernacle, this tabernacle of, of Moses, 
Okay, so the tabernacle would be set up every like when when the Israelites they they would you know they had the the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day that they would follow and every time it moved they would tear it down and then they would set it back up again. I mean, tear down, set up, tear down, set up, tear down, set up. That's that's exactly what they would do. And so they would move this thing and and when they would move it they would have to take it down in a certain order, a very specific manner. It had to be transported in a very specific manner and then when it was set up it had to be set up in a very specific manner and and so i'm gonna i'm just gonna read some of this because i don't have it memorized okay i just don't know it but it's not like i just can't rattle it off but the entire tabernacle was extremely complex the specifications were dictated by god that's why i'm saying it's not bad i just think that there's a more excellent way now okay all right so so the the specifications were dictated by god and, and it consisted of a large court surrounded by a really surrounded a really kind of a small building on the inside of it, and that was the actual tabernacle itself. Now, in the center of the eastern square stood the altar of sacrifice for burnt offerings. Nearby, there was a basin holding water used by priests for rituals, and then the then a ritual cleansing, if you will, and then the corresponding position in the western square was occupied by the Ark of the Law. So it had the law on the other side. And then situated inside the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, that, that was called, there was really, well, let me backtrack. There were two rooms inside the tabernacle. There was one called the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. Now, inside there, it contained a table which had the bread of presence or showbread, and then it had the altar of incense, and then it had essentially a menorah, okay? So, so it had all these different things. Now, now, the ark itself was designed in a very specific way, all right? The ark was a solid slab of gold. I'm sorry. Inside the Holy of Holies was a solid slab of gold that held the ark. Now, the ark had a cherub or an angel on each end, and the ark was gold, a gold-covered wooden box containing the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It had... Uh, um, Goodness, Aaron's staff as well. But I, I'm just going to move forward. I'm just going to tell you that it was extremely complex. And even the way like the curtains were sewn, like everything was extremely, it had to be done in a certain way. And, and, the Lord, and, and there are certain things the Lord wants. We understand and we recognize that. Like if I'm going to live in relationship with him, he wants me to be all in, not halfway in and halfway out, right? And so there's very specific things that have to occur and have to happen. And the Lord's like, if you're going to host my presence, you're going to do it this way. And so that's what Moses did. Because Moses is like, look... I don't want to depart from here unless you go with me, right? Because if, if we go into the promised land without you, then it's no longer the promised land. It's just land. And so, so anyway, so the Lord had this very, very specific thing set up. And again, as we're looking at this, I, I, this is the way the Lord initially intended it to be. And, and because each of these areas had served their own purposes, and, and we're going to go into that. I really feel like we need probably ought to look at the different aspects of that. But, but, but each area served its own purpose, and it was set up to accomplish something. And what's amazing is that everything that was set up in the tabernacle of Moses was fulfilled through Christ Jesus.
All right. Now, this incredibly complex, I, I'm thankful that it's not that complex anymore. Now, I'm going to switch gears, and it's a lot of teaching this morning, for a little bit at least. But I'm going to switch gears because we had this tabernacle of Moses, which was incredible because it hosted the manifest presence of God. Like, that's where God dwelled. Among men, God was in the middle of this setup. Then you fast forward and you get this young shepherd boy named David, who's the, the, the runt of his family. And he gets to be anointed king of all of Israel, right? And you know the prophet Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, and the Lord's like, you're going to anoint one to be king. And, and, and he keeps going and going, going through the list of brothers, and, and no one's there that's good enough. And, Jesse, and, and Samuel's like, do you got any more? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, the runt's out there in the field. He's like, bring him here. And when he shows up, the Lord tells Samuel, that's the one. So this young shepherd boy who had learned how to worship the Lord out in the wilderness by himself is anointed to be king of Israel. Now, what's fascinating is when he becomes king, he says, you know what? I'm going to do things differently. See, Saul, and again, I'm paraphrasing a whole lot here. Saul, the current king or the, his predecessor, if you will, his predecessor, not if you will, his predecessor was anointed by man to be king, chosen by man to be king, and he had led them astray. And he did what he wanted to do and just didn't follow the Lord. And David says, you know what? I'm going to get back to the basics. And when I set my government up as the king, the presence of the Lord is going to be central to everything that we do. See, that's what we talked about a while ago. Like, th this is why what we're doing in our prayer room is so important. What we're, we're not just praying to pray. I, I want you to hear me because I know when you hear the word prayer room, some of us think, oh, they're just praying again. Uh, we need to be doing this, that, and the other. And I think it's the most important thing that we're doing because what we're doing is we're building a habitation for the Lord. And He's all places at all times. We understand theologically He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there are places on the earth where His manifest presence is there. And that when you walk into the space, you think, God is here. Like the fear of the Lord comes over you. Or the joy of the Lord, which really I felt like today's worship uh, time, if you, like I felt that was like the joy of the Lord. I mean, I was, I was having, watching the kids bebop around. Some of you adults were kind of bebopping around. You'll be sore tomorrow, right? And, and then the boys were over there having a good time. Like, like that's just the joy of the Lord. We were having a good time in the presence of our Father. And that is holy and sacred. Yeah. Okay, let's just get that out the way. Holy and sacred. So David's like, look, Israel's corrupted. I'm going to set my government up. I'm going to set it up with the Lord at the very center of it. But this is what's fascinating. Here in 1 Samuel 16, it says that they brought, they brought in the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. They brought in the Ark of God and placed it inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone in Israel, both man and woman, 
to everyone a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, the second to him, Zechariah, Jeel, Shimonoff, and these other guys, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, Right, Obed Edom the Gittite and, and Jewel with musical instruments, harps, lyres, Asaph playing loud sounding cymbals, and Benaniah and Jehazel the priest blew trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Now, 1 Samuel 16 is incredible because what it is is David says, You know what? I'm a new king and my 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 realm or my kingdom, it's not going to be based on what I can do. Everything that I do, it's going to be based around the presence of the Lord being central to everything that I do. Okay. But what's even, what's even more incredible is the fact that he used a tent. It says, David pitched a tent. David said, this is the way Moses did it. This is what happened, but he literally pitched a tent. Pitches a tent. (laughs) I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying David's like, all this extra stuff no longer matters. All this other stuff, like it served a purpose. But David had a prophetic revelation of what New Covenant Christianity actually is. See, that's what's wild is when David was alone worshiping by himself out in the wilderness, David learned what it was like after Christ Jesus would come. That's what David did. And so, so David gets this picture of what it looks like. And David's like, you know what? All this stuff's pretty complicated. All I need is a tent to, so the Lord can fill it with his glory and I just need the presence of the almighty God to be center in that thing and then let's just worship and pray and give thanksgiving around it 24-7 because that's the only thing that matters why don't you understand how offensive that would have been well brother brother David King David they wouldn't have called him brother they've been executed for that but King David what about this and this and this and this doesn't matter to me well, what about this and this and this and this? Doesn't matter. What about this and this and this? We've always done it this way. Doesn't matter. We have the presence of the Lord. That's all we need. Yeah, right. See, see, David set this up and is like, look, everything that I do in my life. Now, what I love about David is he wasn't perfect by any means whatsoever. He was actually kind of a train wreck. And yet, he continued to put the presence of God central to his life. Now, there were ebbs and flows and seasons that he went through. And I actually believe it's because he was in a lesser covenant, because I believe now that we go from glory to glory. I'm not quite there yet, but I think I'm on the right path. So he puts this at the very center of everything he does. I think that's a picture of, again, of New Covenant, New Testament Christianity as we put the presence of the Lord centered to everything that we do. There's a lot of things that we do in our day-to-day lives that really don't matter. There's a lot of things that we've done in the church that really do not matter. There's a lot of things that we do that we don't even know why we do them. We've just always done them. And I think the Lord's like, if you would just get back to the simple gospel, I'll be right there in the middle of you. 
See, that's what he's calling his people to do. And so when we worship and when we pray and we intercede and we do all three of them in our prayer rooms, like it, it's every time it's, it's, it's always different, but it's because we're following the ebbs and flows of the Spirit. But every time we get together and we do this, what we are doing is we are establishing a dwelling place for the Lord so that when people come, they may meet our smiling faces, but what they're really going to meet is the presence of the Almighty God. I, I just want to live my life needing only Him and Him alone. It's got to be central to everything that we do. Now, not just as a church. This is, this is what I want to explain to you as well. Like, this does not just apply to our church. Like, the presence of the Lord needs to be central to everything in the Perkins household. The presence of the Lord should be central to everything that we do as individuals and as families. Now, now, in good intentions, we have said stuff like this. God first, then it's my family, then it's my work. You know, we say stuff like that. And even in, in early ministry classes, I heard God first, then my family, then my church, then my job if I have a job. And, and I, I think it's completely wrong. I think it's just the Lord's central to everything. And what I'm learning is there is no, I'm trying to be real careful here so you don't misunderstand, like I, I'm learning that as long as I'm walking in intimacy with Him, everything's becoming sacred. There, 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 is, no, there, there, there is no more, this is sacred and this is secular. It's, it's, it's this is sacred. Even day-to-day -day work. That's becoming a sacred thing because I'm sharing a gospel, right? <laughs> then it becomes, if, and, and if, if I'm doing the dishes at my house, and if the Lord is the central thing in my house or the central one in my house, am I doing dishes or am I doing dishes while I'm worshiping the Lord? Because if you're supposed to do everything as if you're doing it unto the Lord, it really changes the way that you do things. So, so it's like, do you mean I, when I do dishes, I can do it as I do it unto the Lord? I don't know. I just think that's what the Bible says, so I think it must be possible. Man. All right, Lord. See, David, he, he set this system up. David set this tabernacle of David up, and he didn't refer to it as the tabernacle of David. Okay? <laughs> like he was... <laughs> David had problems, but he wasn't so arrogant he named it after himself. That's just what we call it. David sets this tabernacle up, put the Lord's presence right there. And what's incredible is he, he put it right next. He pitched that tent right next to the palace. And what he's saying is it's no longer going to be a separation of the church and the state. It's actually going to be working like this because I want what happens in this tabernacle to directly influence everything that happens through my government. 1 Chronicles 16.37 says this, So Asaph and his relatives, he left them there, and, and bef before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. Now I've talked about this before a few weeks ago, when, or probably a few months ago actually, when we were looking at Revelation 4 and 5 and the harp and bowl stuff. But Dave was like, look, it's not enough to just have this tabernacle established or this tent 
in the center of the kingdom that he was entrusted to. He's like, I want worship and prayer and intercession to be going on day and night. I, I don't ever want it to quit. Like I want, like that's I know that's what we're dreaming of happening here one day is that is that room is never empty that there's always at least one or two people in there right because we're two or more gathered he's promised to be in the middle of them so then even if there's only two over there praying that's the majority anyway all right so so david he sets this up and he's like i want Worship and praise and adoration to be released 24-7 in my kingdom because I place the utmost value upon the presence of the Lord. Now, am I telling you you need to worship and pray 24-7? I'm not telling you you need to do that, right? Because you've got other stuff to do. But I also know this, that Paul says pray without ceasing. <laughs> and so what does prayer without ceasing look like? I think it's just walking in communion and abiding with Christ Jesus. But we learn to do that when the presence is central to my life. Like what my, my biggest fear about what we're part of, like what we're part of, like it's not just us like there's there's a whole mess of us around the country my biggest fear for what we're part of is that we learn a language presence revival healing we learn to say these words and yet the presence is not actually central to our life and it just becomes a form with no function it becomes something with no power in the middle of it and we need the power of god to be in the middle of it all right. Hmm. Now I'm going to go over this again because some weren't here when I when I taught on this a, few, uh, a while back. But David, he, he David essentially what he did was he crowned God king. <laughs> he said, "You're going to be king. I'm a, I was crowned on earth as the king, but I'm actually taking my crown and I'm casting it down and I'm giving it back to you. And again, I, it's, this is why I said David had this picture of, of, of new covenant Christianity well before it ever came into existence. I actually think David, when he was, I can't prove this, I just actually believe it because this is how he set up his government and he set up the tent, but he set it up exactly what was happening in Revelation 4 around the throne. I actually, I, I had this thought on the way in, I wonder if David, after he killed the lion and the bear, he grabbed the bear by the beard, right, the lion by the beard, killed that thing, I wonder if he caught a prophetic picture of what was going around the throne of heaven it says one day when i'm king i'm going to set up my government just like that because i believe in on earth as it is in heaven to such a degree i want to replicate it here i know it's a lot you guys are quiet today so he he david crowned god king and made worship and prayer central to his government in his prayer meeting in the tabernacle he had four prophets in there at all the time that they were prophesying to the people i think that is a prophetic picture of the four living creatures that were covered in eyeballs in revelation chapter four all right there were 24 elders there were 24 elders that David employed that led 24 worship teams, and they each took an hour-long shift, and I believe that that represents the 24 elders that, again, are found in Revelation chapter 4 that are casting down their crowns ever before him. 
David had 24 elders and 24 worship teams. He had 24-7 worship and prayer going on in this place. And what was 24 worship and prayer? I think, again, like 24 worship and prayer is going on around the throne right now. It's like, well, are they praying around the throne? Well, Christ Jesus is sitting right next to the Father, ever interceding. So I would say that prayer is going on 24-7 around the throne of God. And then there's worship going on as well because the four living creatures are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's an act of worship, right? And the elders are casting down their crowns. There's worship and prayer going on around it. And David says, if that's there, I sure want it here. All right. Then David employed 4,288 musicians and singers to help minister to the Lord. I read this. This is just fun facts. There were 4,000 gatekeepers hired to attend all the daily needs. <coughs> gatekeepers took, did things like take out the trash and ran the vacuum. They didn't have vacuums, but ran the vacuum, whatever. Like they, 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 they performed all the duties to make sure it was nice and clean so that people could come and worship the Lord. And, and then why, why did they do that? Because it's important that when the Lord is there, that nothing hinders or takes away from His glory. Now, now the other thing that David did, it's an estimated that he spent $30 million a month for 30 years. $30 million a month for 30 years to have this thing going in his kingdom. <laughs> That's a lot of guacamole. <laughs> it's like $30 million for 30 years. I mean, it, it, that's a lot of money. And what he's doing is he's spending that because he thinks that he thinks that the Lord is worth that value. We talk about stuff like counting the cost, and Jesus told us to count the cost, but when you really start to think about the reward that you get, the cost becomes inconsequential. When you, when you, really, let me say, when you really start thinking about the cost, you get upset, you get mad, you get aggravated, you think about people that's left you, think about relationships that's hurt or whatever, but when you really start, you know what? I've decided to go after him with everything that I have, and I'm, I'm okay with being misunderstood. I'm okay with people not knowing me, or not knowing me, but I'm okay with people, whatever. Like, when you stop worrying about that and think, I have him, it changes everything for you. Because what the Lord begins to do is the Lord, the Bible says the Lord puts... He puts the lonely in families. And so, so what I, I actually believe that's what the Lord's doing right here is that a lot of us, we've, we've forsaken everything. Some of you have sold everything to move here, to be part of what the Lord's doing. And in that, people misunderstood why you did what you did. And people, like, they didn't understand. You rubbed them the wrong way. It strained relationships. And it's like, well, we're here and we're in this season by yourself. And for a time, many of us have felt very lonely while we were in this church. But what's happened is the Lord sets lonely in families. And so, so it's not replacing family that you had before. But what the Lord does is he says, that thing that the family used to meet in your hearts, I'm actually going to give that to you through the people that surround you day in and day out. All right, so, so why is David's tent or David's tabernacle so important? It's because the Bible says that it will be established before Jesus comes back again. Come on. Yeah. 
I, I will not go on like an eschatological rant right now, but I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're not going on an end times theology rant. I'm just telling you that Jesus will not come back until this is established. This is why I'm so thankful. We have people that got a burden to pray. That's why I'm thankful. It's why, like, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed that I didn't come that first time we had it. She called and said, Lord's laid on my heart to pray. <laughs> it's like, good for you. You're the intercessor. That's why. <laughs> I'll never forget sitting in our living room. And we put on YouTube and we watched it. And we sat there with tears down our face. April looked at me and said, Michael, don't you ever stop that. Don't you put the kibosh on that ever. She didn't say kibosh, but that's what she's been. It's like, and I know a lot of this is going this morning, but what we're trying to do here is have our church value the presence of the Lord, but also us as individuals value the presence of the Lord. That's, we're, we are arranging our lives around the presence. That, that, that's, that's, that's the simplicity of David's tent. David's like, I'm moving the excess. I'm moving all that stuff. I'm moving all the baggage. We can set this tent up here, there, anywhere. But what, we'll just set it up next to the government. But let's just bring in that ark. Let's bring in that presence. Let's start worshiping. And I started thinking about this this morning, actually, during worship. Most of the visitors that come into this, even in this building, we didn't do it for this purpose. We did it because we liked it. But most of the people who come in, they say, this doesn't look like church. This doesn't look like church. This the, what, what is this? And I'm thinking, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. Let me tell you what, if the, if, if, if the karate dude was still wherever he was, and if there was drop ceiling falling over the place, and electrical wires stringing down like there used to be, it would not matter because the presence of God is here. That's what we're building this thing on. And so all this stuff, it really doesn't matter. I happen to like it, but it does not matter. We're building something to host the presence of God. And my hope and my prayer and my dream is that all of us as individuals arrange our lives around Him. That's it. Well, Michael, that's an overly simplistic view of Christianity. Of course it is. We've complicated the tar out of it. My word. Gotta go through this and this and this. Jesus said, come and follow me. I gotta go through my confirmation classes first though, Jesus. I'll follow you after you show me all the flannel graph lessons, Jesus. <laughs> Some of y'all are too, too young for that. That's okay. Let me tell you, David, David showed us that we, I, I think David's like, look, I just want to get down to the basics. I just want to get down to the basics. We have, we have made it so hard, and especially in America, we have made it so hard 
And we say, well, if we do this and this and this, maybe we can get people to come back. It's not about getting people to come back. It's about getting people to have an encounter with the Lord. And then they never want to leave. That's, that's what it's all about. And so we think, well, if I could strategize and do this and this and this and this. And this is what, like, uh, of course, I'm in, a, I'm in a master's level program right now for, for pastoral leadership. And every assignment, I feel like, Lord, I, I, I know what they want to hear. I know how to answer these questions. I just don't believe in answering the questions the way they want them answered. I, t- I hadn't compromised one bit. And the Lord has honored that. The Lord has honored that. But, but what, I'm, what I'm finding, especially now in this, um, in this COVID world, the Lord has given us an opportunity for a reset. The, the church that is entertainment-driven and everything else, it's fallen by the wayside. And then what you have are these families of people. They're saying... Take it all away. Doesn't matter. Just like an old song. Just give me Jesus, right? Just give me him, and that's good enough. And let me tell you, Jesus is attractive. The presence of God is our greatest evangelistic tool. Like our trunk or treat was amazing. But you know why it's amazing? Because people have Jesus inside of us. And therefore, when people, was I giving away candy or was I giving people a face-to-face encounter, what it looks like for someone who's walking in covenant relationship with Jesus? I think it's the latter. And I'm telling you, the world doesn't stand a chance against some spirit-filled believers. It does not stand a chance. Now, let me read the scripture regarding, I, I like, David's tent will be rebuilt before Jesus comes back. I find that fascinating. Amos 9, 11 through 12 says this. This is talking about when he comes back to establish his rule and reign on the earth. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth, tent, tabernacle of David, and wall up its breaches. You know how you built, fill in the breaches? You get an intercessor to stand in it. <laughs> I'll raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. You're like, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that's great. Let's just read the New Testament that says the exact same thing. Acts 15, 16 says this. And after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I'll rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. If we build it, will he come back tomorrow? I don't know. He's been coming quickly for 2,000 years. So I don't think he's in near as a hurry as we are. <laughs> I think we have to give ourselves to this thing. Now, some of you are like, well, I can't make up to the prayer room times. That's fine. Like, I'm not putting guilt, shame, or condemnation on you. I can't make every one of them. I just can't. But we have other people who are. And our hope and prayer is that eventually it's going on all the time. So, <laughs> so it's like, oh, I have an hour here. I'm going to slip up there. I have two hours. I'm going to slip up there. Like, that's the dream. And 
And what we're doing is we're restoring. I say the Lord's restoring, but we're helping establish and rebuild what the Lord intended his people to do and just live in communion and intimacy with him. That's it. And it's like, well, shouldn't we give ourselves more to doing outreach and evangelism? And shouldn't we give ourselves more to discipleship? And I think, yeah, we should be doing all those things. Last night we did outreach. But you know where it was birthed out of? Prayer. Our food giveaway was get birthed out of? Prayer. You know how many, like, been pastoral ministry for 13 years. You know how many outreaches that I've planned over the last 13 years because it sounded like a good idea or because my buddy at another church did it and I thought if it worked for them, it's going to work for me? How many times have I done that? Like, more than I would like to admit. But what's happened is we're getting our people to pray. We're getting our people to worship and read on their own. And what's happening is people catch burdens in this time of prayer and worship and intercession. And when it's a burden, it's not yours. It's the Lord put it inside of you. And if the Lord puts something inside of you, it will, get, it will be birthed and it will come to fruition. But it starts in that place. And I just happen to believe that we can all do this at our homes. Like, this place is holy. But make no mistake about it, my living room is holy as well. And the Lord hears my prayers just as well there as he does here. But also make no mistake, I need to be praying in this place as well. The Bible says don't forsake the assembly of the saints. We need both and, not individual and corporate. We need both and. Because what happens is, is what the Lord births in my heart when I'm alone I start to pray it here and someone in the other side of the room hears it and they agree with it. And there's power in agreement because a three-chord strand will not be broke. What's the three-chord strand? It's your strand, my strand, and the Spirit of God weaving that thing in and it will not be broken off. And so that's why the power of agreement, you can go live Lone Ranger Christianity and probably go to heaven, but you're not going to enjoy it near as much as you would in the context of family. So as we're giving ourselves to this thing, it's like, well, I fall asleep when I pray. Whatever, you've heard me joke, but Bill Johnson says that, again, his, his, he never cared when his kids fell asleep in his arms. You know, fall asleep, fall asleep, give yourself to prayer. I've listened to the same song on YouTube a hundred million times. Keep listening to it over and over and over. Just mute it when the political ads come on, whatever. I won't say it, I won't say it. yourself to this thing because I, I i i had this thought this past week i knew i was going to share on the, the importance of the restoration of the tabernacle of david and we're i really feel like we're going to go deep into this we've been praying now for what four months i don't even know how long five months so how many how many months is that jeff okay Five. Jeff's the treasurer. He's good at math. <laughs> he doesn't need his fingers and toes to count. <laughs> Did he? Okay. Anyway, we've given ourselves to this thing. And I just believe that this is just kind of the, the, the wedding of our whistle, if you will. I believe what the Lord's going to do is he's using this 
He's using this to shape our hearts. But what's incredible now is that we're, we're starting to get calls from other places around the country. She in particular is right now. How do we do this at our church? And you think this group of people here that meet in a shopping center, I won't call it dilapidated anymore, Amen. meet in the shopping center that pray multiple times a week that when we worship our services, we're the opposite of seeker-friendly. It's like uh, two hours is a short service, right? And yet the Lord moves among us. Like, how is that happening when we've got to go 45 minutes to an hour or people are ticked? Because their crockpot's burning. I mean, like I'm making fun. I'm making funny, but do you realize how stupid some of that stuff sounds? But what's happening? And what we're building, it makes way for Jesus to come. It makes way for him to come. It makes way for him to come again because he is coming again. But it makes way for him to come to where he's here and people get touched every time they walk in the doors. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Revelation, I'm going to read the verse because I, I can't remember. I can't remember the verse number, so I wrote it down. Revelation 5.10 Revelation 5.10 says this, that, that, that the Lord said that we have been made to be a kingdom and priests. Which means that all of us are a kingdom because the kingdom of heaven is within, right? Jesus said that. But we're also called to be priests in the sense, it's like, well, I'm not called to be a priest. Like, I'm not called to be a pastor like me and Bob and a few others in the room. Like, I'm not called to do that. That's fine. You may not be called vocationally to be a pastor but you're called to be a priest unto the lord because real ministry is worshiping and ministering to the lord and then when other people come into that atmosphere they get ministered to because you're ministering to the lord now i said this a few minutes ago i'm going to circle back to it then we're going to pray i talked about outreach our discipleship in particular, it's like, well, how are we discipling and training people? We don't need to do Sunday school anymore. We do multiple phone calls, all kinds of stuff that's going on. But I'll tell you where the greatest form of discipleship we have going on right now is that every session we have, not every, but most of the sessions we have over there, there's someone that's praying, there's someone that's playing, someone that's worshiping, and there's typically someone else in there that's training multiple times a week. Am I right? You know what they're learning to do? Like a few of our teenagers have been up on stage. You've been up there multiple times, and you're just sitting there. You know what they're learning to do? They're learning to worship. They're learning to pray. They're learning to wait on the Lord. Those that are in the room, you know what you're doing? You're learning to pray. You're learning to worship. You're learning to wait on the Lord. You're not just there attending. You're there learning and receiving. And so, so what's going what's to happen 10 years from now? Well, actually, much sooner than that. What's going to happen three or four years from now? Yeah. When some of our 15, 16, 17-year-olds say, you know what, I've, I've got a fire in my belly. Or we look at them and say, we, we, we can't, they can't be hidden in the back anymore. We've got to make room for them up on the stage. Yeah. 
What's going to happen then when they've spent three years in worship and prayer out in a place where no one's really looking? I mean, it's broadcasted, but it's not in a room full of people. It's just really the presence of the Lord. You know what happened? You know what happens? Is that what they learned over there is much more impactful when it gets to here. I had a pastor tell me this one time. This is what I'll end on. It's the first revival service I'd ever did. And I, I, I did it in Texas. Sunday morning, it went great. Sunday night went great. Monday night, you know how many people showed up? Seven. The church of 100. You know, out of the seven... One was the pastor, one was the pastor's wife, one was the pastor's kid. I, I was discouraged. I thought, I, you know, I was much more insecure. I was like, they don't like me, you know. And I was sitting on the front row before church, and I, I, I knew. I just felt sick to my stomach. I thought, they've paid to bring me here. They've done this. They've done that. I'm embarrassed. And I feel bad for that pastor and his family. And that pastor came over, whispered in my ear, and he said, it doesn't matter if there's seven of us or 700 of us. He said, God's here in this room. And you treat it like there's 700 of us in here. And it was one of the most glorious times I've ever been in the Lord's presence with just a handful of us. And I learned in that moment that if I can steward those personal moments by myself, really, that what he does up here when you're finally around a group of people, it's much, much more significant but he won't make this significant unless I'm willing. And, that, and as a young, immature minister, that used to tick me off. I hear stuff like that. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. no, listen. David was, I think the Lord, obviously the Lord knows everything. I think the reason why the Lord anointed David was because David could worship the Lord when he was alone and he ended up earning enough trust from the Lord, that the Lord said, okay, I can make you king because you're going to establish my presence as center of, my go of your government again. I don't think David would have been king unless he would have learned to worship the Lord alone because the Lord couldn't have trusted David to worship him when he was king over everyone because he wouldn't have been mature enough. Us as a church, as we grow, we will grow. We've got to be stewarding this stuff and worshiping the Lord on our own. Not just so we, not because we're manipulating the Lord, but so that the Lord can trust us with a greater measure. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, mess, Jesus. Uh. <laughs> Lord, I, I, I pray. I feel like, Lord, I just shared a, a, about six different messages all wrapped up into one because everything's in my heart so big right now. But I pray you help us to be a people that live in simplicity. 
It's not about having the right clothes. It's not about having the right music. It's not about having the right this, that, or the other. What, what matters is just having your presence be central in our lives. So I would pray, Lord, that those in the room that need to simplify things actually hear this right now. Some of us are making following Jesus way too hard. And I feel like the Lord is making, the, the Lord is wanting you to just make it more simple. You think that if you, you, you have to do X amount of whatever, and I'm, I'm being careful because I don't want to say it specifically, but you think if you do this, this, and this, you've earned the Lord's love. The Lord already proved how much he loved you before the foundations of the world, like we said before church anyway. So quit trying to earn it, all right? But just start enjoying the Lord's presence. And I'll say this, Jesus, I pray that you give us a hunger and a thirst for more of you. I pray, Lord, that you turn us into a place where your glory dwells, not just where we have good church services and where we have amazing worship and things like that, Lord, but I would pray, Lord, that your glory I pray that this becomes the kabod, the, 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 the kabod of God, the, the, the glory, the weighty manifest presence of you. I pray, Lord, that this becomes the habitation for that. I would pray, Lord, that this, I pray, Lord, that you, your glory dwells in this area so much that this is no longer the dingy part of Louisville. This is actually the radiant part of Louisville, Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. I would pray, Lord, for every house and every family represented. Some of us, Lord, uh, uh, have entered into busy times in your life, and some are even in this room saying, I haven't read my Bible for a week or two weeks or even a month because things have happened. I would pray, Lord, that they Although it's very, very important to read, I would pray, Lord, that they don't turn you into a to-do list, but they actually treat you like you are a real person in the room with them, and they begin to interact, engage with you, either by worship, by prayer, or actually reading their Bible, as we just mentioned a moment ago, God. But I pray, Lord, you would remove any guilt, shame, or condemnation. I would pray, Lord, that you remove any obstacles or hindrances that people may feel. I would pray that you remove any expectations that people have placed upon themselves. I would pray that you remove any formula, formula, Lord, that people have said, if I do this, this, and this, then I'll hear from God. I pray, Lord, that we start to live our life in such a way where we just recognize that you are just, you're, you're here. You're, you're right here on my right. You're right here on my left. You're right in front of my face. You're right behind I pray we could live our life, Lord, to, in, under the revelation that you are closer than a brother, Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> I also pray for grace as we continue to go down this road, Lord, that when we are misunderstood, when people don't, when we're criticized for being different, I would pray we do not respond in anger. I pray, Lord, that we actually just respond with grace and love and truth in the manner that you would respond, Jesus. Pray this last one. Lord, I pray that you become the head of every household represented here, Lord. Father, I love you and I bless you. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to the River City Hope Church podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on social media. For ways to give and more information, 
go to hopeforrivercity.com.